open your copy of God's Word to Luke uh, chapter 20. Luke uh, chapter 20. We continue to press on through Luke's Gospel. Uh, We'll be in Luke chapter 20 this morning, uh, starting in verse 9. Uh, We're continuing to approach, uh, as Jesus is in Jerusalem, his upcoming death. Last week we looked at how his authority was challenged. And this parable falls right in line with that. Luke chapter 20 starting in verse 9. I'll read, then I'll pray, and we'll dig into God's Word together. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenant saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not! But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that it is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone... It will crush him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your precious word. Father, we thank you for the privilege of entering into your holy presence. You are good. You are strong. You are powerful, righteous, and holy. God, we are so thankful that once we were not your people, but now we are your people. And because we are your people, we can approach you with boldness, because we have been forgiven through the blood shed of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, we come now confessing our sins to you. We conf- confess our sins of um, omission and sins of commission this past week, how we have not trusted you, how we have not listened to your word, how we have challenged your authority in our own lives, God, uh, how we have coveted, how we have lusted, how we have stolen, God, in our hearts, how we have been angry, God, I pray that you would purify us now. God, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness as we confess our sin to you. Dear God, we pray for those in our midst who are sick among us. God, we continue to lift up Bob and Joyce O'Dell. We pray for Joyce. We pray for strength, God, as she continues to care for Bob. Father, we pray that you would just sharpen his mind, God. We pray that you would allow him just to have clarity, Lord. Continue to keep the dementia at bay. And Father, we lift up Jesse Faulkner today. We thank you so much for his life and his ministry and his church. God, we pray that you would heal him, uh, these shingles. God, we pray that you would just surround him with your kindness and with your love. Uh, Dear God, we thank you so much that today across our town, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is being preached. Father, we lift up John Chambers this morning at Remedy Church. God, we pray that as he stands in the pulpit to preach, that your holy word would go forth. God, that you would speak through him with power, that you would anoint him with your Holy Spirit. 
God, we pray for the congregation there, God, that your, their hearts would be softened to receive your holy word, that they would be formed more and more into the image of Christ. And God, now we turn to our own hearts. Father, we pray that you would just first soften our hearts, remove the distractions from our minds. God, allow us to focus on your word. God, this is a holy hour. This is an hour where we get to hear from the Almighty God through your holy word. So God, I pray that as I announce your word, that you would preach it through me by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, you would take this offering and you would apply it to the people's hearts, God, the people you have given me to shepherd and care for, the people I love, God. I pray that you would form them into the image of Christ, that you would make them mature and complete in him, God. Father, I pray that you would grow a spirit of love in our church, a spirit of unity in our church, a spirit of peace and harmony. God, I pray that you would allow us to bear with one another, um, that we may show the world that we love Christ and we love your church. So dear God, I pray now that you would move. You would move in power, God, that our eyes would be taken off of ourselves and they'd be lifted to your glory. So God, we pray that all that is said and done this hour would give you glory, honor, and praise. Uh, We ask this in the name of our great and glorious, crucified and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Former pastor John Piper uh, has said, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. We are limited in our knowledge. Since the fall, our minds have been distorted by sin, and we do not see the world clearly. God is moving in so many profound ways, but we simply cannot comprehend all that he's doing. One of the reasons why I love the Word of God so much is that it it helps us interpret our world. Our interpretation of history may be flawed, what we see, but God's interpretation is perfect. Through our text this morning, God provides us a parable so that we can understand the grand story of redemption. You know, we've been looking a lot at individual passages, and on Sunday nights uh, and on Wednesday nights, we've been kind of doing overviews. How, how does certain books of the Bible fit into the grand story? Well, this passage is an allegory based on Israel's history. Uh, Jesus shares a parable about a vineyard, which seems to have been drawn from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Now remember, the original audience would have known the familiars, uh, the scriptures uh, very, very well. Uh, we in our modern day, we are struggling more and more with biblical illiteracy. We don't always know God's word as we ought. But in that day, the Pharisees and the scribes who this passage was directed to would have known this passage. Now before I read it, I want you to listen all that God has done to prepare the vineyard and how God handles those who, who do not do what he asked them to do in the vineyard. So listen as I read Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. Hear God's word. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there for me to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? 
when I looked for it to yield grapes. Why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you that I will not, I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls. It shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I also will command the clouds of the rain that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are its pleasant planting. He looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed, for righteousness, but behold, an outcry. It's important to keep that image, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, in our minds as we work through this prophecy. We're going to trace God's story of redemption, and I want to frame it in light of God's grace. Uh, the first point this morning is the gracious planting. If you want to follow along in the bulletin provided for you, just flip on the back and we'll walk through this. Uh, the gracious planting. Jesus shares this parable to the chief priests and the scribes who questioned his authority. We remember last week, they kind of had that question, whose authority are you doing these things? And he asked them a very specific question. Will you tell me about John the Baptist and his authority? He says, we don't know. And Jesus says, neither shall I tell you by what authority I do this. So in, in some ways, he's answering the question through this parable. Look at verse 9 again with me. And he began to tell the parable, tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. Now, throughout the Old Testament, Israel is often referred to as the vineyard, which you just saw in Isaiah chapter 5. But here, the vineyard is not Israel, but is the promise of blessing for the nation. In this parable, Israel are the tenants who are allowed to live in the vineyard under God's blessing. So through this parable, Jesus provides an overview of the history of Israel in that one sentence. God gave the promise of blessing to the nation of Israel through Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, which was partially realized when Israel came into the promised land led by Joshua. That phrase at the end of verse 9, for a long while, kind of shows a, a period of time where um, Israel's response to God's servants, as we'll see. But I want you to notice something first, that God planted the vineyard. God gave his promise of blessing. Now, we think about that, we should be moved, because we, like Israel, are often a rebellious and stubborn people. God would be perfectly right and justified to squash us. And yet, what does he do? He gives us his word of promise. He gives us a word of blessing. Uh, Paul Tripp, uh, as an author, he wrote, uh, gave a wonderful illustration of this promise of blessing in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. I commend it to you, parents. Uh, he tells parents to explain to children the circle of blessing. So what we do with our kids, we have done with our kids, not as much as we should, uh, is draw a circle and right in the middle of the circle, you write blessing. On the outside of the circle, you write danger. And you say, every time you obey the Lord, you're in the circle of blessing. You're in the, the promise that God is going to care for you. But as soon as you disobey the Lord, disobey your parents, you're moving outside of that circle into danger. And that's really the whole story of the life of Israel. You see that at the end of Deuteronomy 28. God says, if you obey my words, you're going to be blessed. You're going to experience the, the promise of my, of my peace and my, uh, my protection. But if you disobey me, I will bring curses upon the land. You will move outside of the circle of blessing to danger. 
From the very beginning, God establishes expectations and boundaries for his people. Uh, when I was a public school teacher, one of the most important things I did for my, for my students is I told them my expectations at the beginning of the year. These are my expectations. This is how I want you to prepare yourself for class. So everyone was on the same plane. That's exactly what God does here. The vineyard was graciously planted, or the promise was graciously given, so that the people would produce fruit. How many times, again, have you seen the scripture that a tree will be judged by its fruit? The people will be held accountable by the fruit they produce in the vineyard. So look at the second thing here. Second point, the gracious prophets. The gracious prophets. Read verses 10 through 12 with me of chapter 20. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some fruit of the vineyard. Okay, it's time for me to see some fruit. I want to see some fruit from the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully. And they sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. So instead of obeying the Lord and receiving the blessing of God, Israel fell into sin. Israel's history is one of defiance and disobedience. Through the book of Judges, through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, you see this, repeti- this, this repeating of God's people obeying and disobeying. Obeying for a period and going in to sin. Yet God did not treat them as their sins deserved, but what did he do? He sent servants to warn them. Each servant came to gather fruit from the vineyard. Yet each servant went away what? Empty-handed. You see that again and again, empty-handed. You remember the story in Luke chapter 13 when Jesus looks at a fig tree and he says, you know, that tree is not born fruit, we should cut it down. And Jesus said, give it a few more years. I'll come back and check it then. Because as, as God's people, we're called to obey fruit, to, to produce fruit, spiritual fruit, life change. The tenets in this parable continue to display a lack of fruitfulness. By abusing the servants and the messenger, send them away with nothing. The prophets came with hard words. That's what these servants are. They're a picture of the prophets coming again and again to God's people with God's word. It's almost when you, when you think of the, the, the martyrdom of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen says, the prophets were sent to you again and again, and yet you killed them. You did not listen to the prophets. They came with hard words, but what was their goal? to stir up the people to repentance. Now, we know it's hard to receive rebuke. It's hard to receive criticism. People typically do not respond well when they are criticized. Uh, A few years ago, uh, I was having problems with my leaf blower. If you guys know, it's the fall. And what happens in the fall? Leaves fall. And there's a lot of them on the ground. And uh, I need a leaf blower to fix them. and, And I started pumping my, my leaf blower, and smoke started coming out. So I went to one of my neighbors who does lawn care, and I said, what's wrong with my leaf blower? And he just kind of looked at it and goes, you're using the, the gasoline mixed with oil, right? No. That's why your, your machine's not broken, right? I mean, it was humbling because I had to reveal yet again my ineptitude with the most basic of um, lawn maintenance, uh, but the problem was I was using the wrong material and I was destroying the, the leaf blower. 
so that warning helps save that machine. It's the same thing with the prophets. It's the same thing with rebuke and criticism. When we are warned, what happens? We are saved. We are protected. Same thing that parents do again and again. They warn you, don't do this because we want you to be blessed. If we are not producing fruit, then we are not going to be able to stay in the vineyard, in God's blessing. We may be there for a while, but eventually we were going to be cast out. When I first came to the church, I've only been here for two and a half years, uh, one of the first things I've started doing is writing letters uh, to to members who haven't been here in several years. Uh, Handwritten notes, form letters, phone calls. Uh, I've attempted to communicate with folks who haven't been here in a while in a gracious, loving spirit. But there have been several folks who've been offended by the letters I've written. And the letters usually say something like this. I love you. The church loves you. Please return to Park Baptist Church. We're praying for you. Have a great day. Bye. Pretty, pretty straightforward. But some of them were a little bit harder. Some were saying, we love you. We care for you. You're in sin by forsaking the gathering together of believers. Please obey God and return. Now, when you say that, it's a little bit more of a, a rebuke and a criticism. A one such lady that received a letter said that I wrote her a nasty letter. People do not respond well to criticism and correction. So why risk it? Why risk writing letters to be judged? Why risk offending a friend? Why risk giving someone criticism or rebuke? We risk it because there's danger and lack of fruitfulness, isn't there? We risk saying, telling people the truth in love because we love them and we want them to experience the blessing of God in God's vineyard, in God's family. Beloved, many of us are going to be shamefully treated when we speak words of correction, words of rebuke to our family and friends. But know that when we speak the truth in love, we are doing the will of our master who sent us. Isn't that exactly what he sent the prophets to do? To speak his word, to do his will, to say, produce fruit, repent. (coughs) Well, we see... This happened in our third point, the gracious prince, the gracious prince, the owner of the vineyard, um, could have given up on the tenants. He planted them, he gave them this this, this vineyard, he gave them these promises of blessing, he sent servant after servant after servant, and he could have just said this, I'm done. I'm going to wash my hands of these people. But what did he do? He continued to pursue and pursue and pursue them. So we see the parable take a glorious and yet tragic turn in verse 13. Look with me. The owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. That The idea of beloved son is is almost singular. He has one son. I'm going to send my son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him, so the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? The owner of the vineyard is still motivated by love for his people. He sends his beloved son, the heir, to the vineyard. And yet the tenants responded by killing 
by plotting to kill the son so they would receive the inheritance. Now, it doesn't take much to see that this is a clear reference to Christ. But I also want you to see how gracious this warning is. Look look in your Bibles in, in the end of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 47. Jesus just cleansed the temple, and it says this in verse 47. And he was teaching daily in the temple the chief priest and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Now notice again in verse 19 of chapter 20. Look what it says. It says the scribes and the chief priest, again the same people who want to destroy him, sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. For they perceived that he told this parable, the one we're talking of now, that he's told this parable against them. They feared the people. Do you see how gracious this is? Jesus knows that they're about to destroy him, that they're seeking a way to kill him. He knows this. And what does he do? He warns them about who he is. He warns them about who he is. He's showing them this is the circle of blessing. Trust in the Son. Do not go to the way of danger. Casting out and killing the Son was ultimately the limit to the owner's kindness. God the Father. They've rejected the servants, and now they rejected and killed the Son. So we see that question at the end of verse 15. What then? What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? I've sent my prophets. I've given them my word. Finally, I will send my Son. This is what happened to Israel. We, we see how God judges Israel, and we're saying, sometimes we're, we're tempted to think, well, that's not fair. How could God do that? Or even when things happen in our own life, how could God do that to me? But we forget the, the thousands of things that God has done for us, how he's warned us, how he's, how he's given to us. And yet all we want to see in our own lives is what doesn't happen the way we want. Israel received God's grace, and yet they spurned it. Next point, we see the gracious punishment. The gracious punishment. Jesus immediately gives the answer of what's going to happen to the tenants. Verse 16 through 18. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. What then? When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. God's kindness had run out. He gave them grace after grace after grace. But these tenants were going to now be destroyed. The owner had to act. We know that you can only warn someone so much before there has to be a consequence. This is the same exact picture we saw in Isaiah chapter 5, right? God has done so much for Israel. Planted the vineyard, put a watchtower in the middle, and yet they disobeyed. So God had to destroy the people. God is always gracious. Hear me. God is always gracious, even in punishment. There are some of you today who need to hear this word. There are some of you today who need to hear that God will punish disobedience. 
all of us are coming from different places today. Some of you may be living in sin. Some of you may be struggling internally. We all have different things going on. And this is a warning to you who, are, who, are, who may be experiencing a judgment coming to warn you to repent. That's what the scriptures do for us. They remind us that we need to trust in Christ so that we can experience the promise of blessing and not go in the way of danger. Look at the shock that happened to the crowd. God says that there's going to be punishment. And what did the people say? Surely not! They were surprised. How could this happen? You know, many today respond to the same way when you speak of punishment, don't they? Surely not. People who speak of punishment for sin and rebellion may look, be looked at as mean or nasty. But beloved, we know punishment will come. When I was in college, um, after a football game one day, my college roommate was, was feeling bad. He got hit hard during the football game and just kind of lingered on for a week or so. Uh, he finally went to the doctor, and, and uh, after seeing one doctor then to another doctor, they, they sent him to a specialist. Uh, and he went to the hospital, went up to the, to the sixth floor, got off on the oncology department. Uh, 21-year-old, uh, diagnosed uh, with cancer. Uh, it was a tough time. Me and my roommates lived with seven guys uh, for three years, close friends. Uh, walking through cancer together uh, was a challenge. Uh, but if it wasn't for that hit, if it wasn't for that pain that he experienced, he never would have been saved from that future pain of what cancer would have done to his body. They caught it early because of that hit. See, this is what we have to understand about God's grace. You know, God may be giving us temporary pain, temporary discipline, temporary punishment so that we won't experience a future pain or a future punishment. The promised punishment of destruction to those who stay in rebellion is coming. So if that's you today, if you know that you are in rebellion, that you are not trusting in God, that you are not living as you are, can I just make a plead as your pastor? Repent. Come to Christ. Christ is waiting for you. His arms are open, ready to forgive you. Come to Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, can I just encourage you to consider punishment, to really think long and hard about the punishment that you deserve for your sins. And then look at Christ, who says, I'm willing to take that punishment for you. Just come to him. The next thing we see here is the gracious present. The gracious present. As I quoted at the outset, God is doing 10,000 things in our lives, but we may be aware of three of them. Uh, this parable shows that the unfaithful tenants of the vineyard are going to be destroyed, but through their rejection, others would be saved. Jesus said that the vineyard, or the promise of blessing, was going to be given to others. You know, the, the Jews' rejection of Jesus Christ opened the door for the gospel to go to the Gentiles. You know, Joe read that Romans passage. I would, I would encourage you this afternoon to look at that Romans passage 9, 14 through, through 33 and study how God uses the rejection of a stubborn and obstinate Israel to graft us Gentiles into the vine. Jesus said at the beginning of the gospel of, of John, or John writes about Jesus at the gospel of of John chapter 1. He says this, the true light, 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now hear me, he came to his own. He came to Israel, he came to the Jews, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God opened the door of salvation for all who would receive Jesus as king. We don't come to Christ trusting in our own works. We come to Christ trusting in his work on our behalf. The Jews didn't get it because they thought it depended on them. It doesn't depend on us. It depends on Christ. Therefore, Christ gets all the glory. He is our king. He is our savior. The Lord is our light and our strong shield. Whom shall we fear? This is the things that we want to hold on to. He's opening up the door for us to receive salvation. The gift of salvation is offered to us because Jesus Christ was rejected and died for the sins of the people. That, that the last quote is a, at the end of chapter, our passage this morning, verse 17, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I quoted that a few weeks ago in Psalm 118, and we looked at Psalm 118, 22 to 24, how this is the day the Lord has made. Remember that? Let us be glad and rejoice in it. How many times do we say that? Do you guys say that when I wake up? That's why I, I, I jump out of bed saying that every morning. I kind of do a spring and say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. You guys don't do that? Maybe I'm weird. Thank you, Dan. Uh, so, well, the, the, the picture of that, the, 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 we rejoice in what? That God is going to do something marvelous in our day? That the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God brought salvation through the rejection of his own son. He died in our place to bring us to God, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it is only through the death and resurrection of Christ that God could bring salvation to the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever should believe in him shall not perish. Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me close with this last point. A gracious plea. A gracious plea. I just want you to trust in Christ. You know, studying this passage, you know, you see all the blessing that Israel had. All the, the great things that God did to them. Did, did for them. And what, what happened? They rejected him. I pray today that for you it would be the day of salvation. I pray today that you would see that God has done something marvelous in our day. That he has rescued us through Christ. I pray today that would be the day of you, that you repent and believe in Christ. For listen to the solemn warning that Jesus says in verse 18. Everyone who falls on that stone, Christ, will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. No one, no one, will be able to stand against the Lord. God is offering salvation to you through Christ, the cornerstone. He died so you could live. The offer is given. Will you accept it?
that Jesus is nearing his death, he will be humiliated, beaten, mocked, and crucified. He will look like he's weak and powerless. But he will be exalted. He will be the exalted, powerful stone that no one can stand against. Everyone in this world are faced with two options. You either fall before the cornerstone, the Christ, in worship. Or you have the cornerstone, the Christ, fall upon you in judgment. Two options lay before us this morning. Which one will you choose? Let's pray. Father, I pray, God, I pray that those here would trust you. God, I pray that you would allow us to fall before you in worship for the salvation you have brought to us. How while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That you rose again to give us a hope of an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, and unblemished, kept in heaven for us by faith. Dear God, I pray, Lord, for those here who are walking in sin, who are not trusting you, that they would turn in repentance and faith, that they would not be crushed by you. God, I pray that we would always be reminded that although you died, you were exalted. Although you have called us to die, to self, to sin, one day, God, one day, you will exalt your people. Help us live in light of that great truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.